WMQA. Hello and welcome to WMQA, the official podcast of the WMQ Comics website. I'm your host, Dan Grote, and we're joined by a friend this week. Uh, our guest is Adam Reck, artist, musician, educator, and one half of the X Men podcast, Battle of the Atom where he and Zach Jenkins rank every X-Men story ever from A to Z. Uh, but we're here primarily to talk about Adam's work as an artist. Uh, definitely go to adamreck.tumblr.com and check out his X-Men fan comic, Bish and Jubes, which is an absolute delight. Uh, and then listen to us talk about it. Go ahead, open a new browser tab. We'll be here. Uh, in the meantime, what is going on over at wmqcomics.com? I'm on vacation! Uh, that's right, as we speak, I am in Disney with my wife. Uh, but fear not, as my co-host and homeboy for life, Matt Laswitz, is keeping an eye on things in my absence. Uh, so we'll still have plenty of great content for you, including for me, because when do I ever really take a break from this comics life? Uh, anyway, let's get down to brass tacks. Here are me and Matt and Adam. So, uh, Adam, I wanted to start out by saying we got more Twitter questions for you than we have for any other guest. So, uh, so, so good on you. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, thank you guys for having me. Um, I did ask a couple of people to retweet that. So I think that that uh, inspired the hive mind, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, we, 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 the, the tech narc is out there working. Um, <laughs> Uh, but you know, we'll start with the basic one. Uh, you know, what what comics did you read when you first got into the medium? Um, my starter stuff was like I, I don't know if you guys had this experience, but growing up as a kid of the eighties, um, I'm uh, about to turn thirty nine. I feel like the old person sometimes in some of these Twitter chats, but um, I, <laughs> you're, you're in a safe space. We're all we were all born yeah. the same year. Oh, yeah, good. yeah okay, I, great. I, I'm two months away from that same birthday. So. All right, so you guys can tell me if this sounds familiar, but I had grandparents that wanted to order everything for me out of like a JCPenney or a Sears catalog. Mm -hmm. And uh, I very much had the experience of getting like the JCPenney starter packs, you know, with these giant just poly bags of like leftover return comics that nobody really wanted but you'd get random issues of like punisher Warzone or like uh you know classic x-men or whatever it was in these bags um i i think the first series that i became obsessed with as a kid was um was the original marvel transformers so i i remember very distinctly buying uh one of those issues at a walden books on a spinner rack and getting a subscription to that i was obsessed with that um and then I don't know. I, I think X Men. I got into that because of the the, the little samplers that I got. Because I was like, "What is this? Who are these characters? They're always different in each issue, and what's going on?" So I think that's where I started. So I take it you're excited for the Transformers '84 one shot hitting on Wednesday. I didn't even know it was a thing. I looked at. I, I always check. Uh, there's a website called Comic List that just you know lists all mm -hmm. the upcoming issues. I had no idea that was a thing. Um, but I, I read about it today while I was eating my lunch, and I almost like spit out my soda. I was so excited because <laughs> I. I'm in the process. I was an idiot, and when I was in college, I actually sold off my Marvel Transformers run, which included all the minis. Um, you know, it, it had everything, uh, including like the, the latter half, which is really tricky to, oh. to find. And I'm in the process of reassembling that. Um, I'm, I'm, I've got probably about like 15 issues left to get. Um, so when I saw that, I was very, very excited. 
you and I are in the same boat. Those are the only comics that have ever gone missing from my collection. Oh, and no. I'm 99% sure that one of my brothers, because they were in their own little box, and I had all the minis just like you, I was positive they were there when I left for college, and when we were moving... And I was put moving all my comics. Whatever the little box, the little separate box were they were in was gone. And I'm pretty sure one of my brothers took it. And because my parents were like, no, we wouldn't have gotten rid of them. Both my brothers denied it, but they would. Uh, <laughs> were, were Michael and Roy big uh, Transformers guys? No, but Roy would a Roy would have been young enough. My youngest brother's ten years younger than me. That they would have been something that would have been in his age bracket in his brain. And I would wager that he just wanted to read some comics, and I wouldn't be surprised if my parents kind of like, well, you, let's see what we have. And they were in their own little thing. Oh, they're Transformers <laughs> comics, whatever. He's, they're, they're not Batman or Adam Warlock or anything like that. So, yeah, you can read those. And uh, I never saw them again. Uh, and that, that back half, the Simon Furman stuff is so good. It, it is really good, and... Um... Every time that I find one of those issues past 60 and up in a long box, I just do a little dance for joy and spend, <laughs> you know, like whatever it is on the issue because I just have to have it. Um, and eventually I'll get the whole thing. But um, I feel for you, man. I'm right there with you. <laughs> I, I, I want to find that the IDW did, I think, the classic Transformers, the, the not quite phone book. But they were really big thick trades and I know there's little bits missing from them mm -hmm. but I think they were able to at least get all the circuit breaker stuff back oh, in there the only thing love circuit they break. didn't yeah the only thing they didn't get I think was issue three with spider-man oh, okay. Marvel would not let them have the reprint rights on that one but they put the reprint rights for all those other mm -hmm. you know tenuously marvely characters in there <laughs> Which we've never seen again yeah. yeah, it's weird though because Marvel farms out like like Marvel and IDW have a working relationship. Marvel farms out its kids' books to IDW, and you know, and they both share Star Wars. So I, I'd wager if they get around to doing another round of reprints, it probably will include that Spider-Man issue. I think the last time they did a reprint of that run was a few years back before that relationship was cemented. Mm -hmm. That sounds about right. Um, so yeah, I kind of wanted to dig into, you know, your work, uh, uh, as an artist, uh, you know, every Monday you're posting a, a page from your, from your Bish and Jubes comic, uh, online, uh, t including today, well, we're recording on a Monday, so <laughs> you're <laughs> yep. listening to this whenever, but, <laughs> um, you know, how, how long have you been, been, you know, a drawing and also, and, and B, you know, sharing it online in, you know, this way? Um, so the current book has been around this project started three years ago. Um, I mean, and I could get into more detail about that, but I mean, I, I've been drawing since I was a kid. Um, I've always loved comics. So I've always been drawing my own comics, but this is, this is the first time I, I kind of got away from drawing for a while. Um, I, I'm, I started my educational career as a, as a school teacher. Um, now I'm an administrator, but, um, I, I kind of got away from drawing a little bit and probably about five years ago, I was like, man, I don't know if I can still draw very well. Um, I had an iPad and I was like, I want to, I want to get better at digital drawing. That's what I want to do. 
Um, and I started playing around with things. I had a really crummy stylus. And um, this was around the time that, like, Explain the X-Men started to really take off in my consciousness. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was just kind of fooling around one day, and I started doodling this Bish and Jubes comic strip, which is the first page of the series. Um, I didn't realize it was going to be a series. I didn't even realize it was going to be a a 16 page story to start off with, but it just kind of took off and I couldn't stop doing it. Um, to the point where now I think when it's all done, it's probably going to be about 150 pages long. And, you know, I'm probably going to be putting together like a Kickstarter account for a, a trade paperback. So I'm, I, my main goal is always just try and get better at making comics. And that's really my only goal. So it, it helps me to practice. Uh, it's, you know, to keep into a schedule and, and try and keep it up as, as long as I can. That is awesome. Um, what is it about these two particular X-Men, uh, Bishop and Jubilee that, you know, makes, you know, why did you pick them to be the stars of this, of this project? <laughs> um, I think, first of all, I wanted to make sure that I was casting, at least when I started doing it, I wanted to make sure that it was a diverse cast. Um, I I really like, I've always liked the X-Men that are sort of like the B-listers, if you will. And not to say that Bishop and Jubilee are not anything but A-listers, because they are. But I liked the contrast between the two of them. She's this very, very sarcastic brat in a lot of the 90s books. And he is, on the other hand, sort of like this befuddled, time-traveling anger monster who's quick to draw his gun that to me like sounds funny (laughs) so um that that was that was really why i wanted to pair them together and to give them the very very silly idea that you know the whole series is really built around this idea that uh bishop misses a, a, a like twinkie like dessert from the future um, and that's really what gets them into all the trouble that they're in in the in the series. Um, and that's all coming back now into the story. So uh, it's just goofy and it's silly. And I like them. I, I both love the characters. they're They're just really great creations. Um, and they're both representative of the X-Men trying to diversify their line, you know, with Jim Lee trying to to bring in a, a well, Sylvestri is really you know integral into uh, bringing her into the line, but I feel like Jim Lee solidifies Jubilee's presence, mm-hmm. and uh, you know having Portacio bring in Bishop is is such a big deal. So, so you just mentioned said snack cake, which were. <laughs> Yummy, yum, yum, sticky X-Buns. Um, yeah. What flavors do yummy, yum, yum, sticky X-Buns come in? I ask this mostly so I could be recorded and on record as having said yummy, yum, yum, sticky X-Buns. <laughs> I just, I always imagine the yummy, yummy, uh, the yummy, yum, yum, uh, sticky X-Bun kind of just tasting like a, a cinnamon roll. Like, I, I never really imagined it. I mean, it obviously has something magical in it because when sinister bakes his batch in the first um in in the first issue he mentions sprinkling in some summer's dna um <laughs> which that's just kind of gross but i don't know what that is but I, I just in my head i imagine it is sort of like a cinnamon roll um but there's only one flavor they they only make the one amazing yummy yum yum sticky x bun and it's it's the hit, the hit dessert of the future um the the post-apocalyptic future that uh that bishop comes from it's 
incredible. Um, <laughs> so now we know that Bishop, anytime Bishop enters a room, he has that sweet synth riff with harmonica from the <laughs> X-Men cartoon. Um, <laughs> what do you think Jubilee, you know, what kind of theme music or 90s instrument does Jubilee enter a room to? Oh boy, it's probably some like Tiffany or Debbie Gibson esque synth, right? Like, mm. I don't know. I, I it's it's got to be something very very like peppy and and not too. I, mm, I don't know. This is tricky because she didn't really have a theme on uh, on on the animated series. But yeah, I would go with with some sort of like very. You know when you hit those preset buttons on those Casio keyboards like in the nineties, and it was like. <laughs> you know it's something like that yeah i I could totally see that she's the marimba setting yeah and you used to pretend you knew how to play the keyboard because it would change keys when you touched like you'd go c okay anyway oh yeah my sister had one of those um yeah uh so i mean i uh, we will be questioning you mercilessly about this because I, I frankly read the entire series over this past weekend and oh, loved cool. every page. Thank you. Um, <laughs> there were I mean, the the age of strife was just so absolutely everything nineties in one place. The, <laughs> the spiky sentinels and especially the hybrid dark rider MLF nasty boys that Bishop <laughs> fights in the arena. Yeah, the uh, nasty front. Yes. I, I nearly <laughs> fell out of my chair with that. Uh, mm. There was Fox Batman. And that, that just was, was a moment of sheer delight. Uh, I also like that Sinister is an exposition monster. And that is sort of perfect for his character character uh, if you go back to the x-well at some point you ever think of having this whole series of scripts narrated by sinister being deliciously bitchy uh, maybe like an editor's cut like uh you know what was that show that vh1 used to do with the bubbles and pop-up and, video yeah pop-up video maybe it's pop-up video with like the extra it's the director's cut from uh nathaniel essex um ah! <laughs> I don't know if I would ever have time to do that, but it does sound like a fun idea. I will say that you have not seen the last of Sinister. Uh, Sinister plays a huge part in in the the final issue. I don't think that's a spoiler. I think people are probably expecting him to come back um, as he is on the cover of the fifth issue in the uh, in the little box up in the top left. So um, you'll you'll see him again, and there may yet be even more. Expedition, exposition dumping that he will do. Sinister has always been my favorite ex-villain, and even more so in recent years after Kieran Gillen took that that snark level and just amped it up to fifteen. Yeah, I think between Gillen's writing of Sinister and then um, you know Hickman really only had a couple of little moments with him um, in Secret Wars. But they were just so glorious. And uh, I love the character. I, I, I love writing him. I love the idea that he's always just plotting something. And you don't really know why. He's just always in the background, you know, doing something. Something sinister. And it's it's great. 
My my favorite moment in uh, Uncanny Twenty Two was just Emma commenting on the fact that Sinister had just melted in a puddle at her feet, <laughs> just below panel. <laughs> just what a vile man he is. That's great. Yeah, those are just wonderful moments. Um, we just read uh, an X twenty three arc where Miss Sinister melts and Sinister pops out of her for a second, and it's just like so weird and glorious. I I, I love the character. Um, but back to what you were saying before, thank you for, uh, appreciating some of the stupid puns that I do, uh, throughout the book and, and sort of combining characters or, or throwing in random, uh, things. Cause that is a big part of it is like, I just want to draw this stuff and <laughs> I want it to be silly. So, uh, I'm glad somebody's appreciating that. Oh, oh, very much so. And, and speaking of drawing stuff, so Jubilee is really sort of had one look from her inception with some, you know, minor tweaks here and there. There's a brief period where she wore that sort of weird red costume under her, mm-hmm. or her yellow jacket during Generation X, but mostly she's looked like Jubilee. Yeah. Bishop, on the other hand, has had <laughs> so many wildly different outfits. And you had that one point where Bishop is running into the different versions of himself. <laughs> other than your classic jerry curl mullet bishop do you have a favorite bishop design um it's tough i mean i i played on this a little bit there's a scene in the third issue um where gateway is bringing you know the multiple bishops into the the frame and, and really ticking uh, xavier off um I don't know. I mean, the detective look uh, from Morrison's run is kind of fun, but it also is a little bit blade-like. So I'm not like super sold on that. I like when he's sort of just plainclothes detective in District X. That's a cool kind of thing. Like I, I like him as just a, you know, a low-key, more civilian type look. Um, I do, even though I think it's character assassination, I do like the bald robot arm look. Uh, I think that that is is a really cool thing that just design wise that they did with him um, during Messiah Complex and Messiah War. So those are probably the runners up. Uh, one of the things in the more recent issues, and I'm treading lately on the details of the return of this character, but I thought it was really cool that you brought back Ava Bell because <laughs> she was a great character from that Bendis era. My, uh, she was probably my favorite. I know there are many people like, but what about Gold Balls? Gold Balls was great. Don't get me wrong, but I loved Tempest. And thank you more for having her tell off Hank McCoy again because he deserves <laughs> it. Uh, the thing about Matt is he is both a shameless Cyclops apologist and whatever the opposite of that is with Beast, a blameologist, perhaps. <laughs> <laughs> I, I've said it before on the show, and I'll say it again. I was burned. Beast was one of my favorites, and then somewhere around Endangered Species, he became a total dick. And If you had a Cyclops Was Right t-shirt, on the back it would say Beast Was Wrong. That's yes. all I'm saying. Yes, <laughs> I'm not denying that. <laughs> well, I feel like we're going in two different directions here. And I, I, Here's what I'll say about Beast. Um, I feel like just recently, uh, having gone back to some of the Fraction stuff, um, Zach and I have kind of unearthed the origin of why Beast kind of turned into who he did during the Bendis run. 
And I've constantly been on not I hate Beast. I, I love Beast. Um, that's why I have Future Brotherhood Beast wandering around in the in the fifth issue. Um, but at the same time, like I would love to see Beast kind of go into a more anti-hero look um, and be a little bit more villainous. I don't want him to go full Dark Beast, but I think just the trajectory of his character seems to make more sense. Um, you know, to to get a little darker with the character and and push him because there's been so many great stories with what his moral boundaries are and what his ethical boundaries are. Um, but I, I would love to see that push to the hill. Um, in terms of Eva, um, Eva is by far my favorite of the the Bendis creations. Um, I love a lot of the new characters that are introduced there. That's why I brought Hijack into the fifth issue, uh, at, and and at the end of the fourth. Um, but Tempest is Tempest is basically. I don't think people realize that Tempest is Brian Michael Bendis's Ileana Rasputin. If you go back and you were reading X Men when Ileana disappeared off panel, and you had to wait a while to figure out what happened to her with that miniseries, he pulls the exact same stunt with Tempest. She walks off panel and comes back like slightly older, and nobody is sure what happened to her and she's not willing to talk about it to anybody. And then we got those amazing classic pair of annuals with the Sorrentino art oh. that are just a lifetime's worth of, of amazing character development in there. And um, I know at some point someone is going to bring back Eva Bell and it's going to be one of the most amazing incontinuity stories ever but my take on it is based on where bendis left her uh is that she is like a a cosmic time cop essentially um she's just that powerful um and and at a certain point i feel like she kind of poised herself as a watchdog like i'm gonna be watching that's one of her lines uh that's that's what she says um to that generation of x-men and i would love to see that happen someday i don't think it's gonna happen during the hickman era but um maybe eight, maybe four to eight years later we'll, we'll see her come back <laughs> cosmic time cop seems right in hickman's wheelhouse though i mean ooh. It does. I just think at a certain point you have characters that are so powerful that unless you have what I would really like to see with Eva is something like Cy Spurrier's Legion where she gets to go and do her own thing. Because if you bring her into regular X continuity, she's so powerful and can just alter the fabric of everything that's going on around them. Um, similar to what she did in last will and Testament that, you know, how do you put that into into monthly comics? It's very very difficult. It's like a walking uh, cheat code. Yes, absolutely. They'd have to do a Franklin Richards and find a way to limit her power. Yes, because Franklin's the same way. It's like if you let Franklin be what Franklin had sort of been described as being, he's the the reset button. It's yeah. like oh, you're, you're something bad happened. Snap. <laughs> Exactly. But I do actually, love me some Eva Bell. I'm actually just reading the Bendis run for the first time now. Oh, okay. Yeah, I'm like two trades in and I'm like just I'm going on vacation next week, so I'm gonna crack open Battle of the Atom. Uh 
the the event comic. <laughs> yes, <laughs> to disambiguate uh, while while I'm uh, on the plane. So I'm looking I'm looking forward to like I'm just starting to get to know these characters. It's you know what people are are hard on the run, and I I kind of understand the critique, but I also just think in general it's a lot of fun. There's some really good art on it, and uh, there's some great new characters, and I, I think that it is unfortunate that Bendis and and we're still sort of getting a whole picture of what happened to Bendis at the end of this run leading into Secret Wars. Um, Hickman has kind of suggested that he quit. Um, you know, we all know that Bendis, you know, left Marvel for DC in dramatic fashion. Um, but for whatever the reason, you know, the run is sort of abruptly curtailed and doesn't get to breathe the way it should. Um, but that being said, it, even though it's flawed, it's so much fun. So I, I hope you enjoy reading it. Oh, there's a couple of issues. I mean, there's a couple towards the end. There's the one that's the Ilyana and Kitty issue mm-hmm. that is delightful. Yeah. And there's this whole subplot with Maria Hill having a thing for Cyclops that never <laughs> really gets addressed. And I was like, oh, she's not a telepath. Go for it, Scott. You really... no, <laughs> Just not a telepath this time, dude. Really. <laughs> Uh, not, a, not a ship captain either. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Um, back to uh, back to Vision Jubes, though. You know, you play a lot with a lot of fan favorite characters over the course of the series. Uh, you know, uh, you know, you've got you've got takes on on Warlock and Maggot and and you know Richter and Shatterstar, Bill the Lobster, uh, Ariel from Fallen Angels. Uh, do you feel like, especially with the crop of comics we got leading up to the Hickman era? You know the 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 books kind of came the books and the, and, and the people making them kind of came around to playing with a lot of the uh, the non headliner cult favorite characters. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, I think that we're going to see a little bit more of that in the Hickman era too. You know, like I, I know that some people are kind of uneasy about that, given that Fallen Angels now stars what like Quanin. Team Cable and uh, X-23. <laughs> mm-hmm. But I, what we know is that all the people that work on these books love these characters. And I, I am waiting for... There's there's going to be a point somewhere that it's going to make sense why the promo art by Mark Brooks had uh, Bill the Lobster, or Don the Lobster, excuse me, and Baby Havoc from X-Babies. Like... There's there's a reason that they're included there, and that's because Hickman, along with everybody else that works on these books, they love the same stuff we do. It's just it's not always super you know profitable for Marvel as a company to say, well let's do a Maggot miniseries. Well, nobody knows who Maggot is. X Men fans know who Maggot is. So, you know, I understand from business practice why we don't see those characters as much, and it has been cool seeing. Uh, different writers leading up to this uh, this era sort of dip into that well because you can tell everybody that's working on these books are fans. You know, it's just that sometimes, uh, and I think we saw this especially under the post Secret Wars like last bit of the Axel Alonso era, that you know there were a lot of ed- editorial mandates and and what the books were expected to do without necessarily taking a lot of risks. Mm-hmm. 
I mean, Ed Brisson is still in the mix, so it's only a matter of time before we see Glob Herman again. <laughs> exactly. You know, I, I love seeing Glob. Um, Brisson writes him so wonderfully. We're in love with that character, and uh, it's been great. I, I think it's been great the risks that they've been allowed to to take over the last year. Um, Age of X-Men alone has just been such a glorious and rewarding, crazy thing that I'm still stunned that they published it. Um, and it was wonderful. Yeah, those those books are coming out in trade now. So if you didn't read Age yeah. of X Man, please, for the love of God, go buy them. <laughs> <laughs> they are legitimately awesome. And if and if money's tight and you have to prioritize, um, I would say you absolutely cannot miss Prisoner X, um, which is a Bishop book. Um, the the uh, Extremists, which is a Jubilee book for for part of it, and uh, Next Gen, which is a Glob Herman book. I mean, you you, you cannot miss these stories. They're so good. That's definitely the top three. Um, you know, uh, staying on the subject of kind of cult favorite characters, mm-hmm. uh, you know, you and Zach through the podcast have obviously crossed paths with a lot of X fans with a lot of deep cut favorites. Are Matt and I the only ones left who still stand Pete Wisdom? <laughs> um, I am on the record as not being a very big Pete Wisdom fan. I'm sure you've, if you've ever listened to the podcast when we've covered a Pete Wisdom story, uh, you know that I'm not not big on it. But I understand the appeal. You know, uh, he's sort of the the crotchety British guy with with hot knives, and uh, he's got the hot claws. So. Oh, the the hot claws are a problem. The hot claws <laughs> are a Ben Rab thing, and. That's a whole thing. Well, it's not a Ben Rab thing. It's a lazy fill-in artist thing. <laughs> yeah, but Ben Rab used the used those hot claws as like a plot point with Wisdom actually doing the Wolverine thing with the hot claws on each side of the guy's neck and threatening to pop the middle one. It's like oh, that's not Pete. The whole point Ellis makes at the beginning of his run is that. Pete Wisdom doesn't like using his powers. And then Warren Elsley's and Ben Rab's like, eh, and he's shooting shit and clawing at people left and right. It's like, no! <laughs> you can count. I'm pretty sure in uh, Cornell's Captain Britain and MI-13, you could probably count on one hand the number of times Wisdom uses his powers. Well, he's not really, you know, he's he's more doing, he's more running a strategy than, than in the field in, in uh, MI-13. <laughs> Which is where the character should be, but yeah, <laughs> but that, that I, I've been to, I've been talking a lot of Pete Wisdom with a lot of people the past few days, so I'm just going to let that one go for the moment because I could go on. <laughs> well, here's what I will say in defense of Pete Wisdom: when he's there as comic relief and he's there as the punching bag, I appreciate Pete Wisdom. When he is meant to be sort of the the glorified star of a story. Um, and especially the romance stuff with Kitty, that stuff generally doesn't work for me. But what you're speaking to is is really important. And that is that uh, we've met so many people, um, you know, through doing the show and just being part of the fan community that people are like obsessed with some of the most random characters. And it doesn't matter how random they are. Like they could have been in one or two issues. They are somebody's favorite. And I think that's awesome. One of my, uh, it, it was there was a soundbite. We had, we had Shauna McGuire on the show back in the back in the winter, and you know she was. I forget you know the actual context, but I pulled just this one soundbite for a later episode, and just talking about like 
threatening's not the right word because she would have been happy to do it but like she said she could write a lifeguard and slipstream series and be happy oh sure (laughs) yeah yeah no uh zach actually is um well before i say this um shannon's amazing absolutely isn't she amazing? Oh yeah, yes. Uh, great guest on the show, um, and, and just so so smart. But <laughs> yeah, I mean, Zach has even talked about how, like, you know, if you're a continuity nerd, you might want to go back and like do something with sl- uh, Slipstream and Lifeguard. Hey, why not? Yeah, uh, you can dig through it however you want and make it more interesting. We were just talking about Gene Nation on uh, the show that aired today. When Gene Nation came out with Marrow as their leader, they're not very interesting at all. But Marrow, under let's say like a, a Cy Spurrier um, in his X Force run, is extremely interesting. So it just depends on who's at the who's at the wheel, really. I, I'm waiting for Hickman to do uh, Doctor Nemesis. Oh yeah, because. And I, I'm totally stealing this from uh, my friend John, and I gotta give him credit because he might listen to this. Uh, Hickman, in every one of his projects, has a character who dresses entirely in white and is usually mm-hmm. real pale. Yeah. The uh, White Swan, Death in East of West. Is it the White Swan from the Avengers run? The, uh, Black Swan. Black, Black Swan. Swan right, yeah. thank you. I, I, every time I Still very Black pale. Swan. It's like, but isn't that the movie? But no, it's, it's Black Swan. But yeah, she's she's all pale. Death in uh, uh, oh God, East of West. That entire civilization in dying in the dead. Uh, th- that is a motif. And so it's like, well, Doctor Nemesis already has the look. So and he's <laughs> the snarky science dude, which is like everyone from Manhattan Project. Come on, Hickman, give us some Doctor Nemesis. Yeah, I don't think we're going to see him in Hoxpox, but I definitely think we're going to see him in Dawn of X. Uh, once we get into the actual world that that is, you know, he's setting us up for, I, I can't believe we would not see Dr. Nepesis. Um, so, so getting back to the series, how do you, how do you feel like your work has evolved kind of over the course of doing this? Um, I mean, from a craft perspective, I feel like I'm getting, uh, and this is just me reflecting on it. I think I'm getting better. Um, the page that I posted today is a reference back to a page, um, because they're actually, the, the main characters are traveling back into a scene from the first issue. Um, and I'm looking at the difference in quality from the two different issues. And part of that has to do with the fact that I'm dealing with better equipment, you know, like I, I upgraded, um, at the end of age of strife. If you look at the last like two pages of that comic, you should see a discernible difference in the, the, the line quality. Um, because I went from using an older model iPad with like a really crummy stylus to I bought I invested and got an iPad Pro with an Apple Pencil. So, you know, I feel like that's part of it, but it's also just a matter of putting in the hours and and trying to get better um at what I'm doing. So, I feel like that's a big part of it is just the book looks better now um than it did when I started doing it just because I I feel like I'm I'm drawing better now and I just every page i'm trying to sort of elevate my craft and, and try and get a little bit better um i in terms of storytelling i 
feel like that's probably still somewhat the same. It's just me trying to tell goofy jokes and, and try and maintain some sort of semblance of a narrative if I can. But I, I am trying to get better as a writer, too, um, you know, and make sure that the, the dialogue lands the way I want it to and um, that uh, that it looks like a page of a comic book that I can be proud of. Uh, I'll, uh, we'll do our first uh, Twitter question here from uh, sure. Dan from Dan McMahon. Uh, do you prefer the plotting of the story and the writing of it or doing the artwork more? I think ultimately um, probably doing the art. I mean, th- there is a real joy to like <laughs> drawing maggot and instead of slugs, he has velociraptor slugs, <laughs> you know, like I, there's, there's some real fun to be had um, in, in, in depicting the characters this way. Like I have, one of the joys of doing this has been like really strange things that I was just like, you know what? Why not? Like the idea of throwing Grimlock into this story. Um, and more recently combining Grimlock with the warlock analog that I had in the story. So that, that now they're just lock lock. Um, they were padlock and Grimlock and now they are lock lock. Um, there's, I just like setting myself up for like fun things like that to draw. Um, but, you know, I, I did study both illustration and I was a, an English minor, so I, I'm trying to get better at writing, too. But I think ultimately, Dan, it's mm-hmm. got to be the uh, the drawing. We, we did briefly have a note in the script that was just all caps. Lock, lock! <laughs> <laughs> With no question attached, just an exclamation of joy. <laughs> yeah, oh. I, I, I was taking my notes while reading, so there was a whole bunch of, like, random stream of consciousness oh moments <laughs> that also is just a result of the fact that like at a certain point the cast of the book got too big and i realized that after the the giant uh fight scene at the end of four like i was gonna have to shrink the cast a little bit um before it grows a little bit again and i was like all right well i don't know i i can't have both of them running around i gotta do something i was like all right i'm just smushing them together <laughs> Uh, so you've been releasing pages at a clip of about you know one a week in the uh, traditional uh, holy day of X Men Monday. Um, <laughs> how, how much time do you block out in a given week to you know focus focus on this project or just on you know your art in general? Um, the reality is that I don't even get to work on it every single week. Um, my my real big thing is that I try and get about four to five weeks ahead of myself. So that if I have a busy week with work, if I have a busy week with, uh, you know, like carting my kid around to extracurricular activities, whatever it may be, mm-hmm. if I don't get to a page in a single week, then then I know I have a buffer. Um, you know, it would give me no greater joy in the world to like just do this every day and to crank out pages in a much faster clip. Um, my ultimate goal was to have the fifth book finished by the end of this month. There's no way that's happening. Um, but, uh, if I can, you know, I just try and make sure that I, if I have the time, um, that I draw every day. So I draw, I try and draw something every day for, um, my Patreon. Um, so, you know, even if it's just a pencil warm up sketch, I try and get one of those posted. And then I, I try and do at least a little bit of work on each page that I'm working on, uh, every day. And uh, sometimes, you know, it's just a lunch break at work or just while Bachelor in Paradise is on in the background. And, uh, you know, I, I try and crank out as much as I can. 
Bachelor in Paradise is an excellent background uh, <laughs> thing for while you're working, I have found. Yeah, it's <laughs> because great. Because basi- basically, after I'm done recording, you know, I'll go upstairs and my wife is watching it. And it's like, oh, well, I'll just keep working on the website while uh, exactly. Jordan does something amazing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't really have to pay attention to it. It's great. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, you've also recently started uh, kind of doing commission uh, Twitter avatars for people. Uh, you know, there's there's some great ones out there. I know uh, you did Dan McMahon's uh, uh, Green Goblin, and uh, I think was the uh, uh, Forest from AIPT the Venom uh, avatar. Is that you as well? Yes. Yep. Yeah. That that that's that's my personal favorite. But I was wondering if you had a favorite one of those that you've done so far. Uh, I just did one that I really loved. Um, hold on a sec. Just trying to remember who that was for oh that's not good i'm blanking out on this i mean this kind of just got started this summer i don't Mm -hmm. generally do like a ton of commission work um but uh, occasionally people you know will reach out and uh and 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 they ask for very interesting and peculiar things some of which makes it online some of it doesn't um but uh, the one I did recently that I, I mean, I love doing the um, the Green Goblins for Dan um, <laughs> because Dan had this great idea for them to be posed like the David Bowie Heroes cover. And <laughs> the, what was interesting about that was that I did, I, I got, I, I worked on it too fast. So I ended up doing a classic um, kind of Ditko Romita era Green Goblin in the pose and he was like oh i forgot to mention like or or i read it i, I skipped reading it too fast he wanted to william De, willem defoe um so I, I ended up doing two for him uh both in the pose and, and it was great doing both of those um i did one recently where um someone asked me to, to have her reading wolverine 70 70- Five, which is the issue where he has his uh, adamantium ripped out in, in um, Fatal Attractions and she's sobbing so hard that she's like surrounded by her tears and I, I, I love when people have such smart and fun ideas like that so th- that's been great Has anyone asked you to draw Disco Mummy from the Plastic Man cartoon yet? <laughs> Never but uh, if anyone's interested in that hit me up on Twitter I, I, I I'll be honest, I don't know what that is. <laughs> at, at some point, you should read Fred Van Lente's uh, The Con Artist novel, and that joke will make a lot more sense. Oh, okay. I, I, I try to avoid too many in-jokes on here, but we had <laughs> Van Lente on the show when he talked about it. So it's a callback for people who listen regularly to our show. <laughs> it, it, we reward continuity. <laughs> like like any good uh, X-Men fan. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but who's who's kind of what artists are are on your you know your personal route Mount Rushmore? There are like a handful whose work you're particularly you know uh, inspired or at least always impressed by. Um, I think this has changed dramatically over the years. Um, when I was a kid, I think I was very, I think a huge part about why I'm still invested in like doing this and and making comics, even though I have a, a full time career, is um, that well, I grew up during the image boom. You know, and and the '90s comics boom. So there was this era where it seemed like anybody who came out of the woodwork who could even like kind of draw, but their artwork even remotely looked like a Liefeld, Liefeld or a Lee or a Silvestri, they were getting hired. 
you know and they and they were going and working in these LA studios and pumping out these these basically garbage comic books if you think about it you know if you look at all the extraneous image matter that that's not the core stuff um and like there was just this mindset that I think got ingrained into me at that point so you know the X-Men artists of the day in, in the late 80s, early 90s are, are definitely what I grew up wanting to draw like. I think today my like my role models stem, they, they're really more in a cartoonist kind of vein. Um, and I'm much more interested in, in drawing so I'm telling the story well. I think somebody who does this so perfectly and is really like my my absolute artist role model is Erica Henderson. Mm-hmm. Um I think Erica is just an absolute genius in telling stories and uh, her line quality is just absolutely amazing. So I love looking at her stuff. I like the, the, the animated quality to it. Um, another person who I absolutely love is uh, Natasha Bustos, um, mm. who is the illustrator of Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur. Again, a more cartoony look, um, but really strong storytelling um, the way that she builds sets is, is very cool. Um, and I think aside from that, maybe a more cartoony style, I think another artist that I'm like just constantly reappreciating is uh, classic John Romita Jr. Um, you know, like current 2019 John Romita Jr., I have a hard time wrapping my head around. Um, like what he's doing on the Superman thing is very strange to me. A lot of um, people are struggling with that one, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so many different levels. Yeah, but, um, you know, I'm a huge fan of his run with Nascenti on Daredevil. Um, I, I, I even like his 90s sort of very, like, everything's a rectangle look. Um, so, so that's another thing that I really look to. Um, and I guess the, the other person who's like a, a, a just an amazing person that I look up to is Walt Simonson. Um, I just, I'm amazed by what it is that he does. Um, and if you go back to his Thor run, or I'm a huge fan of his Fantastic Four run, um, I, I just love the way he lays out pages and, and the way he tells stories. It's so cool. Absolutely. Um, you tweeted recently, you know, you're looking ahead to kind of thinking about what you want to do for your next project and, and probably something not within the realm of, of X-Men. Um, you know, do you feel like, you know, you've got a handle and you know what that is, or are you still just kind of you know, in the exploratory phase? Um, I really don't know what it's going to be. I, I think I may have <laughs> just introduced that idea to the world yesterday. Mm-hmm. Um, my immediate goal is to wrap this project up. And like I said before, I want to do a Kickstarter for a trade paperback. Um, I do think it's important that people know that this is not my IP. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't make money off of it. If you bought a zine from me, it's because I needed money to photocopy it and mail it to you. Um, so when we do the trade paperback, aside from any funds that might go to, you know, like other artists that may do artwork for the book, um, as, as extraneous material, um, you know, I, I don't plan on, you know, profiting from it at all. So I want to get through that project. Um, and I really, you know, like I keep saying, I I definitely want to continue to evolve as both a writer and an artist. So, um, it's very important to me that the next thing I do has a couple of different components. I really want to make sure that I'm trying to do a script. Um, I don't script Bish and Jubes. Um, I do not write a script for it. I basically, 
you know, go at about three to four pages a time and I lay them out on the page and I do the dialogue bubbles as they're, you know, being spoken by the little stick figure versions of the characters. So I think it's really important that I actually like take a step back and actually just try and do it typewriter style um, and try and get it from that perspective. Um, and then the other thing that I really want to do is, is try and interpret somebody else's script because I have never had the opportunity of working from another person's, um, writing perspective. And even just since yesterday, I think at least like six or seven people who many of whom I, I know pretty well at this point have, have come to me with some pretty cool ideas. So I'm hoping next year that, um, they can be something I'm working on. Well, that that's awesome. I'm definitely uh, looking forward to whatever, whatever you know shape that ends up taking um what, what are you what are you reading now these days when you're not you know reading x-men stuff or, or reading stuff for the podcast um you know comics wise i really don't get outside the x universe too often um you know i'm much i'm, I'm always a marvel guy i i almost never read dc stuff unless there's sort of an artist that i'm interested in or a particular writer um who, who i want to check out um, and, and the X-Men stuff takes up so much of my time, mm-hmm. um, between keeping up with what's coming out and then keeping up with what, cause I, I, I think we're pretty clear on this on the show. Um, but on the podcast, I'm the guy that hasn't read most of the stuff, um, because I have such huge continuity holes in, in, in my X-Men reading. So Zach has already read all this stuff. I'm the one, and he can just kind of go back and go, Oh, okay. I remember this. Um, whereas I'm the guy that really has to, for a lot of it, go back and go, Oh, wow. I've never read this before. What is this? And what am I going to say when we get to the show? Um, so, I am very uh, lucky if I find time to read aside from all of that. So um, if I can get a couple like actual books in every couple months, I'm happy. I just finished reading uh, Dune for the first time this summer, um, which I was, I loved. Um, I'm, I'm currently reading a noir book by Elliot Chase called black wings have my angel, um, which is fantastic. And I also have a, uh, a Shirley Jackson biography sitting on my nightstand that hopefully I'll get to this fall. Um, so if I can get to any of that, I will be very happy. <laughs> if you have more time for podcast listening than you do to reading, mentioning <laughs> the noir, uh, there's a podcast that it's, it's complete. It was 10 episodes called The Angel of Vine. Ooh. That is a noir inspired by the Black Dahlia. Hmm. And stars Joe Manganiello, Alan Tudyk, Constance Zimmer, and Mike Coulter. Wow, and that sounds it's awesome! Excellent. Did and, you did you listen to the Root of Evil? No, I um, haven't. If you're interested in the Black Dahlia murder and you you enjoy stories about cr- true crime, I highly recommend that. Um, it. it I didn't know about it, but Paul Shear talked about it a little bit on how did this get made. Um, and it's essentially the children of it's the grandchildren of the murderer in the black Dahlia murder. Um, and it's the, the story of how their uncle who was a police detective basically discovered that his father was the murderer. And it's got interviews with just about every single person in their family. It is fascinating highly recommend it adding 
Pat, do my <laughs> podcast queue. With an hour and a half each way on a good day to work, I listen to a lot of podcasts. <laughs> I'm with you. I think I just finished... Uh, I'd never heard of You Remember This, which is like a Hollywood oh, podcast. Oh, I love that I, show. Somebody had recommended the uh, the 10, because Once Upon a Time in Hollywood just came out, someone recommended the 10-part uh, Manson series that she did. Um, and I, I just finished listening to that. That was that was incredibly researched. So I'm interested in listening to a little more of that as well. Yeah, the the season on the, the 50s and the blacklist is tremendous. That, oh, maybe that's, that's where I'll go of, next. Yeah, that's a period of Hollywood I particularly interested in and uh it was a wonderful companion to uh edry baker and sean phillips the fade out okay cool gotta but, check that out yeah uh so you've got uh you've got a, a daughter correct i do yep yeah i think she, i think she's about my son's age um is she you know kind of is she getting into comics at all um i I think that she reads them much more casually than I think I did at her age. You know, I was much more obsessed with them, um, but she does love going to the stores with me. Um, she likes reading squirrel girl. She likes reading moon girl. Um, you know, she'll read odds and ends like random star Wars stuff that I bring home um, and loves going to the local comic book shop with me. But I just feel like it's a different era, you know, like, she would much rather curl up with like Marvel unlimited and the iPad. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas, you know, I, I don't know about your towns when you were growing up, but like I living in central Jersey growing up, there were like nine local comic book stores within walking and, or like a short drive away um, or like a walk from a friend's house. So, you know, there was such an inundation with new comics and, and you, you could just easily, see just about everything um whereas now if i need to go to a comic book store i'm I'm driving a good half an hour from my house and Mm -hmm. you know it's it's just a different kind of cultural thing yeah i mean matt Matt and i grew up in the same town and there was definitely you know we grew up in opposite ends of the same town and we were Mm -hmm. still within like walking slash biking distance to a shop back at least one shop back then (laughs) Yeah, it's it's a different world. Um, I feel like people don't know that comics exist to a certain extent, and or if they did, where they would get them other than like a trade paperback at a Barnes and Noble. Um, so, you know, it's definitely a, a different landscape than it used to be. So uh, let's let's dive into some of these uh, Twitter questions because we did get quite a few of them. Um, We'll, we'll start with a question by this fella by the name of Zach Jenkins. Uh, totally blanking on this one. Uh, he asks, uh, how do you keep your voice so velvety smooth? Oh, Zach, you're so nice. Uh, <laughs> it has been uh, a real pleasure having done the show that people compliment me on my voice. I have been told in person many times that uh, I should, you know, do something on the radio or, or do, do voice work or whatever, but I don't know. This is just my voice and I I have had it for a long time. Um, I always joke that I have a face for radio. So, um, (laughs) there I am. This is just me. Um, I don't, I think it helps that I don't teach anymore because I used to come home with like my voice cracking and losing my voice, but now I don't talk as much during the day. So maybe that's why (laughs) your your period of vocal rest. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, all right this this one i think requires math but uh charlie davis asks uh 
Uh, <clears throat> Rick Star 90s date night movie choices. Show your work. All right, I cheated on this one a little bit because I did see that Charlie asked this. Charlie, hello. Um, <laughs> so I want to just get, take a second to give a shout out to Charlie because um, I really didn't anticipate kind of falling in love with Shatterstar and Richter. Um, but Charlie has really shown me the way. Uh, and there's a huge reason why those two characters are still appearing in the book, even through the fifth issue. Um, it's important to me that they're still part of the cast for that. Um, so I, I don't feel like I have the, uh, the, the complete inside knowledge on the two of them, but here's, here's going to be some guesses. So it's date night. Shatterstar is definitely going to want uh, something action fueled. Um, it's the nineties. There's a lot of really good action movies out and uh, you know, he's, he's going to get his pick. I think. Um, so he's deciding between three different movies. Uh, the first one would be Terminator two, uh, rise of the machines, um, which features some buns, you know, it, it has some Schwarzenegger buns for a short little bit. Um, but it's also just like one of the most amazing action movies of the nineties and Shatterstar would appreciate that thing. Um, I think speed would also be on there. You know, you've got a very handsome Keanu Reeves in the mix. Uh, it's just a great movie, very high octane, high velocity. It, it holds up to this day. Um, another thing I thought they might like is time cop, um, with Claude Van Damme, uh, John Claude Van Damme, um, especially the scene where he does the split, uh, definitely some good buns there. And, uh, I feel like Richter is maybe going to be the guy that, uh, wants the, the rom-com, you know, he wants a little more drama. He maybe wants to like, you know, show how he's feeling. So uh, maybe he picks Jerry Maguire. <laughs> I like that. Lots, yeah. of, lots of buns for shatty buns. <laughs> there you go. Shatty buns. Uh, but anyway, hi, Charlie. <laughs> hey, Charlie. Hi, Charlie. Yeah. I'm sure those were wrong. Thank you for letting me guess some. <laughs> <laughs> the important thing is we tried. Um, all right. Uh, Rick Heinishen asks, uh, what is the one X theme story that you really love, but you know, is not a great story. Oh boy. Um, I feel like the one that we do that Zach and I always come back to that. I love that. I think is probably not appreciated very much just because I know it's a mess is, um, is the Nascenti Brett Blevins, uh, new mutant summer special, mm. which is just such a gobbledygook of ideas, but it's so visually splendid. Every page is such a, a, a treat to look at. And I, I love that book. Um, but I do know that, you know, it's got some issues objectively. Um, the other one is probably the Wolverine cocaine arc, which <laughs> I, I got to thank Thomas Cummins for uh, turning us on to that because we keep coming back to that and going, is this better than that? And we're going, nope, no, it's not. And, you know, that's extra troubled having uh, been, you know, by our not so good friend, John Byrne. Um, mm. But it's really a, a wonderful, crazy thing. All right. Uh, Chris Edelman asks, what other X-Men duo deserves an Adam Reck comic? Oh, boy. Um Let's see. I teased at the end of the, the, the print version of the first issue uh, based on a 
something Jay added and said on, on explain the X-Men that Quentin choir and boom, boom would make an excellent, uh, a couple. Um, I loved that page. <laughs> <laughs> they, they really would be great together. Uh, Richter and Shatterstar obviously would, would, uh, would warrant further adventures. Um, I think Eye boy and nature girl would probably be a good fit to follow around for a while. And solely based on Brisson's next gen, um, I would go with Glob Herman and Armor. Uh, you could probably pair Glob Herman off with a lot of people, but I liked the sort of antagonist relationship that the two of them had in Age of X-Men. So they, they would be a good pair. <laughs> uh, Robert Secundus asks, given what we've seen so far, what is the best evidence for your still extremely good uh, theory about the world? And how do you think uh, the swerve that the world is going to be involved in uh, Hoxpox will come about? Okay, so uh, I don't think, I mean, obviously I'm going to talk about Hoxpox in this answer. So if you have not been reading Hoxpox, like, what are you doing, people? Get yeah. the issues, um, really just invest. It's it's worth your time. Um, all right, so my theory has always been that in the, I'll just reapproach this for anybody that has not heard this. So my colleague, Zach Jenkins has always believed that the X-Men are going to Mars as part of this story. He has been proven correct. As of the first issue, we did see armor on Mars. Uh, that was confirmed. Um, there's been, I believe another cursory mention of it somewhere else in the other two books. So he's already on cloud nine with his theory. My theory going into it stemmed from the fact that in Colin Bunn's uncanny X-Men 17, I believe it is, um, it's an IVX tie-in, but we get the last appearance of Phantom X before Astonishing X-Men. In that issue, um, Phantom X claims that he can take control of the world uh, and that he has a plan to do so and that he is going to become sort of become the world, if you will. Now, we know from Astonishing X-Men that the current version of Xavier is X. What that means is that Xavier's psyche, not his body, not his soul, not his brain, but his psyche is inside Phantom X's body, and that is X. Now, as far as we know, despite the time jump, the body that you see in House of X should have been x which is also phantom x now depending on what you think about the converging timelines that have to do with the curious case of moira mctaggart that theory kind of gets scrambled a little bit but here's what i will say there have been these little brackets alongside the the uh, text and the graphics um, in the books and there have been mentions of the world um, I believe there's also been a narrative box that said the world in it. So I know that Sinister is coming back into this story at some point. There's a little bit of a cover spoiler uh, on one of the issues. We know that he's going to be going to be back. There's some theorizing out there that Xavier might even be Sinister. We don't know what that's going to be. But I find it hard pressed that Hickman is going to ignore such an amazing idea. We have people being mutants being born accelerated timelines in little Krakoa pods. How could the world and the mechanisms of the world not be involved in this story? And if it's not, that's fine. I I'm not going to lose any sleep over it, but I sure hope he takes advantage of it. Cause 
um, it, it would be a great mechanism. Yeah, it, yeah. I, you know, if 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 Hawks Hawks has done nothing nothing else for the Xbox, and it has done plenty, it's it's just it has created a cottage industry of like s- study and and speculation, like I've seen in like no other era of X Comics. It's it's nuts. It I is. It. And, and shout out to to Robert who asked that question. He yeah. um, and Chris Edelman have been doing Hoxpox talks. Uh, on XavierFiles.com. I mean, if you guys want a deep dive, you could do a lot worse than listening to a biologist and someone who's into religion uh, dissect these issues. There are very, very good deep dives. So check that out if you haven't. Read the Hoxpox and then read the Hoxpox talks. <laughs> yeah. <gasps> oh, man. Uh, so uh, I know you're doing uh, NYCC this year. Uh, what is what's your usual sort of of you know I mean as an attendee, uh, mm-hmm. you know what is your your usual roadmap for for handling the show? You know, do you kind of do you spend the day in Artist Alley? Do you do you know when the best time to roam the show floor is? You know, what what's your kind of survival guide? Um, God, I mean, I've been going to its more present incarnation probably for the last like six or seven years. I think we skipped one year. Um, I usually go uh, with my wingman, uh, the amazing illustrator, Stephen Reinfurt. Uh, if you guys have never seen his stuff, check it out. He's an amazing artist. Um, but uh, I, for the last, for most of the years, I, I would usually just go one day. Mm-hmm. Um you know, cause that was maybe all I could get off from work. Uh, lately my daughter has wanted to go, so I'll go two days. This year is the first year that ever that I'm going all four days on a press pass. Um, I am representing battle of the atom. I'm going to be doing some interviews and hopefully going to be, uh, you know, kind of culminating in a, in a special episode for the, for the show. Um, my big thing there is artist alley. I think that that's the most valuable thing that you can do is go and have face-to-face time with these immensely talented people who are so gracious with their time. Um, and all they want to do is talk comics, you know, if they're not working on commissions, obviously, but if they have the time, um, it's so seldom that you meet people on the show floor that are, I don't know, just, angry or don't want to talk about the work or, or talk about characters or talk about comics. And it's just amazing. I, I, I could spend days down at our Sally. Um, so I typically will start there because I feel like early in the morning on the first two days are probably the best times to get at the creators because they haven't come down with con crud yet. Um, <laughs> they, they genuinely are not like exhausted from trying to keep up with their commission work. Um, they, they're still bright and cheerful and they've gotten full night's sleep. And that's usually the, the go-to time. Um, and the show floor is just, God, I guess, get to it as early as you can and see as much of it as you can before it turns into like a sweaty sauna mosh pit. <laughs> like <laughs> I don't even know what to say about that. Cause it's, it's very tricky to navigate in the afternoons. Um, so my advice is get in early, get out by the early afternoon. And if you can come back the next day and do it again. And, 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 and I will second Adam definitely hang out in artist alley. That is, that is where it's at. And it's where I probably had the most fun last year when I went. So, yeah, you're gonna you're gonna be there this year, guys. Both uh, of you, or, or I will, just I, It'll be just me, uh, mm-hmm. but I will be there the Friday of. Nice, very cool. I, I 
I was going to NYCC before it kind of became the uh, uh, San Diego of the East Coast. Mm-hmm. And in all honesty, crowds and my social anxiety don't exactly go well together. Uh, oh, dude, I, I totally get it. It's the, crazy there. <laughs> the last year I did it was probably 2014 or 2015. Mm-hmm. And by midday, I did Thursday and I was kind of okay. By about halfway through Friday, I just couldn't take it anymore. Yeah. And it is, I try to live my life with, you know, no regrets. But my great regret, the, which also is a good thing to say something about my life, that this is my great regret, uh, <laughs> was leaving early that day uh, and not being there for the signing with Sir Terry Pratchett as it was his last signing in the u.s before he passed oh and i I had my copy of good omens and i wanted to get him to sign it and then eventually get gaiman to sign it too Mm -hmm. but i I couldn't that i nearly had a panic attack and someone while walking bumped me and my glasses fell off and without my glasses i i I become velma from (laughs) scooby-doo i can't see anything without my glasses and that was like, okay, this con and me, this ain't going to work no more. Uh, well, but. you're bringing up a very good point, And that is you have to, regardless of, uh, of whether it's a con or not, like you, you got to put your health first, you know. And if this is just not a, a good space for you, like avoid it. You don't have to be there. No, I mean, I do all of, most of the cons in Jersey. And I did Flame Con this past weekend. Oh, cool. Yeah. And so... I mean, I still do plenty of cons, but NYCC is just a little too much for my mental health. Oh, I can I can totally understand that. It's it's a massive undertaking. Absolutely. Um, so so Adam, as we are wrapping up, how can people follow you online if you in fact wish to be followed? <laughs> well, guys, if you're on Twitter, uh, you can follow me at Arthur Stacy. Uh, that's A R T H U R S T A C Y. Um, you know, I, every X-Men Monday, I'm posting the new pages and links to it, posting links to the new episodes of, uh, Battle of the Atom. Um, my website, which has every page of Bish and Jubes for free. You can, you can binge it in an afternoon. It's not going to take you that long. Um, is at adamrec.tumblr.com. Um, if you want to keep up with my, uh, the podcast that Zach and I do called Battle of the Atom. Um, every X-Men Monday, we take three X-Men stories and we rank them on a giant list. Um, but it's really just an excuse to talk about all these random X-Men stories. Um, but you can check that out on XavierFiles.com or any any podcasting thing anywhere. Um, if you're interested in having art delivered to your uh, inbox for a very low, low price of even just a dollar a month, you can go to my Patreon, which is patreon.com slash Adam Rec. And that, that's pretty much where I'm at. I, I, I don't have a huge footprint, but uh, that, that's where I'm at. All right, man. Adam, thank you so much for coming aboard. Oh, it's been a pleasure. Thank you guys so much for uh, inviting me on. This was great. That's it for this week's show. As always, you can listen to WMQ&A on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and at WMQComics.com, where new episodes move Tuesday mornings. You can support WMQ&A and WMQComics.com at Patreon.com slash WMQComics, where just a dollar donation gets you early access to episodes, the ability to promote your work on our site, and a customized bonus reading column written by our own Matt Lazowitz built around the character, creator, or theme of your choice. 
Big thanks to our first and foremost patron, Steve Morris from Shelf Dust and the MNT. You can follow WMQ Comics on Twitter and Facebook, and you can follow me on Twitter at Daniel P. Grote and Matt Lazowitz at MattLaz1013. Not a fan of social media? Sign up for our weekly Q newsletter, which gives you the best of WMQ every week in your inbox. Uh, finally, and most importantly, check out WMQComics.com for all your comics news, previews, reviews, interviews, and plain old views, and we'll see you next time. WMQA!